Please. think in your mind is Q's biggest talent or was his great talent and what, and what did you learn from him well be, be, besides wanting to be an arranger and a producer and all of that stuff the key was producers and I would meet a lot you know a lot of ego went into that and um, Q as bad as he was in my dealings with him he kept his ego pretty much in check and he could listen people would come up with different suggestions and i would watch q listen to people even if it wasn't the right stuff he would just be able to stay open-minded as he was doing what he was doing so what did i learn the biggest thing was it's not so much your talent or your um, ability to do any stuff that everybody thinks is the biggest thing that you would need to have as a musician. It was the fact that, number one, he sort of had an idea, a roadmap of what he wanted or where he wanted to go. He knew that within the journey there could be obstacles and he had to be ready to be fluid as opposed to being solid. He has to be able to move and bend. Instead of being the pine tree, he would be the weeping willow. And when a windstorm comes, he can just bend with the wind. And he was able to take both of those things and use them, I thought, brilliantly to his advantage. And what did I learn even over all of that? which I haven't got to yet, maybe I'll get to one day. Interdependence. It takes, it takes a village to raise a child. He would surround himself with the baddest cats and to realize what was in his head. And then he would ever so slightly give suggestions of what about this? Oh, let's do it like this. And then they would go, okay, Q. Or then they would say, oh, well, Q, well, this is like, and then he would say and make a judgment call. Just like that song we were working on where he was wanting to change it around. But then afterwards he said, well, okay, it's, we'll leave it like that. And to know that that was the right decision. So that was the, the biggest thing, and, you know, since I saw him do something, because we were playing that off the wall album while we were on the road mm -hmm. at all like you said you would open up the concerts you wouldn't play like your best you play mm -hmm. some dud stuff we were playing the off the wall records at the forum all over the, the country and people would come up is is that michael or is that they, they'll be going nuts and the record hadn't it wasn't going to come out for another five, six, seven weeks. But Q was doing his tester. Well, hey, what do people think? What is, you know, man, he he had a machine. So stay humble and just stay humble, man. A lot of cats come into it with ego and with anger and it's my way or the highway. And I see a lot of those cats not making um music for very long q has had a very very long time making the music and he did it until he could say all right what's next 
because he always wanted to do movies and stuff like that anyway. So when he did The Color Purple, even that, when we were out, he was doing Roots. You know, he was talking about Roots. That's why he was doing Buffalo Soldier and all that stuff on, on that tour. He was always conscious, always moving. He was talking about stuff that beyond. He's a young guy. He was talking about, man, on a, on a bank. <laughs> you know, he was a young guy. We were looking back, we were like 23 to 25. And Quincy was in his young 40s, you know. But he he had a plan. He was already living in Beverly Hills, you know. So he was, hey, he had a concept. He worked it. And it was always a pleasure. And every time we've gotten together, it's always cool, you know. How you can say everybody that I've been around throughout this career of mine, it's like it's been always a pleasure to see him again. You know, it's always we left on good terms. You know, well, and that's when you want to have it. I had uh, Jim Gilstrap was on the show, and he only spoke. Oh yeah, he only spoke well of Q two. So. Oh yeah, well, Jim, he was on that. You know, and out all these years, Wanda, no, I never met Jim, but I know of Jim through so many different things. But yeah. All that right on time and all those I'll be good to you with Sarita and him and yeah. It was like those were the catches though, the waters and Jim, you know, these were the the, the baddest of the baddest of the uh, you know, what they call I don't know, they say background vocalists, but I just say vocalists because if you just want to say background, they they way more than background. It's 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 it's, it makes the record. It's just a part of another ingredient of what you made the record. It's like, no cayenne pepper and garlic? What? <laughs> hey, you're missing some ingredients in this. You need them all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad he's still with us, too. Q. Yeah, man. Exactly. He's mm-hmm. just had a birthday. And um, I, I didn't, I, you know, I can't keep it. I can't keep it with my own birthday. But uh, um, it's good to see him still looking good. I, I, everybody kept saying, watch this documentary, watch this documentary. And I finally got around to watching it, and it was great, you know. But, man, great, what – And they did it. Well, I'm sorry. You, you talk about two icons, though. You mean you went, you went from Q to, to Maurice White, basically. Um, I mean, it was it was like – and it was so effortless. What I mean like that, it – it was um there was no time to go back and think about this is what I'm doing because you were doing it in the moment and we just went from one to the next and each cat, both of those cats were and are cool. I mean I, I can't um put that more of dealing with music with ego involved and stuff. It just gets in the way. Even if you know what you're doing, even if, you know, and I've always preferred that way. So if I get with any artist that has a problem that talk to the musicians crazy and stuff, you know, I believe in respect, demanding, giving respect and demanding respect. And if something of those angles aren't happening, then, you know, I'm gone. I'm like, hey, y'all, I know I might be turning down something, but I'm not going to be any good to you in this environment. So y'all don't need my help? Have at it. I'm not the last guy on the planet to make a record with. But at the same time, everybody has something to give. And I call different cats plutonium. And plutonium by itself is just plutonium. But if I put the right ingredients with it, I can make a bomb. Not just a regular, old regular. It's an irregular. It does some other kind of stuff. So you need all the ingredients. And going from Q to Reese, it was like, I'm not going to say, well, now Q is not, he's formal, but not as, not formal like in the sense like people think he's uh, he's he's down he was down with me anyway 
to me. We'd be on A&M lot. I'd get a burrito off across the street, and I'm eating a burrito, and Q would come over one day. Hey, Wayne, let me get a bite of that burrito. You know, regular stuff, because we were literally like his little brothers. He looked at us like that. So we had a great time with him. And on the other tip with Maurice, Maurice was just, you know, Quincy and I's um, conversation was about Stravinsky, the first conversation. Uh, with Maurice, it was about train. And we just went on from there. And I didn't know how much he was into jazz, even though I know or knew that he had been playing with Ramsey Lewis and all this. But, I mean, I would take Reese to different places and we would do something. He's like, oh, man, he sounded like Sonny Stitt. I'm like, oh, you know, okay, Reese, you call some, you know, I mean, you would say train, but Sonny Stitt, that's on another level. You know, of course, he's not as household, if you will, you know. Mm -hmm. But he knew his he knew his stuff too. What thing they both knew their stuff. And dealing with Maurice, we had the best of best time because we not only would do music, then we would play tennis. Mm. So that was our almost Instead of going to the studio to like, okay, let's do this and let's do this. We'll be on the tennis court. And then after we finish on the tennis court, I would say, hey, Reese, check this out. Oh, man, I like that. You know, and that's how we would do Then We would get together. And I would, hey, everybody, I made come to the hood. So. so I had Reese coming from Beverly Hills. I had all the boys coming. And uh, they would go over to South Central off Manchester and come and hang out in the back of the garage at my at my studio. And I don't know what, man. It was something about that room. If I had an autograph wall for who all was back there in the life of what we were doing in that room, I've forgotten more people than, it, than I can't remember that were back there, but. Everybody knew about that room that came from New York, Detroit, Chicago. Everybody would land in that room. And Maurice was just another one of those guys that landed in that room. And we did a lot of music back there. Matter of fact, when we started Let's Groove, that's where Let's Groove started, in that room. It didn't start at no major function at the junction, that came from the hood. If any tune ever came from the hood, that's groove. That's where it came from. <laughs> Straight. So, But that whole record that we did on that Ray's album, all of that stuff, you know, we had already, like, put that together. We were doing an emotion record at Hollywood Sound. And they had just finished, I don't know if it was Boogie Wonderland, or they did another record. Faces. Yes. There you go. My chronology is not all the way there. I mean, I couldn't even tell you the stuff that we did. I don't even remember the name of the records. I mean, like the, the album titles. Yeah. I don't remember that stuff, man. I'm, I always say, let's go to the next thing. But anyway, after that record, which wasn't a bad record to me, but once again, it would be like their Blam album. But... They couldn't do a Blam album at that period in their career. Every record had to be, you know, where that pop crossover smash, you know, and that's what they were used to. And Let's Groove was not in itself a pop crossover smash. It was what it was. And then they made it that through the marketing and promotion and all of that stuff. The record on its own was, it was what it was. It was nice record, nice grooving and all that, but it was a little different for Earth, Wind, Sound. And I didn't own a vocoder at the time, but I told Maurice when I was doing the stuff with my mouth, I said, oh, Reese, that's a vocoder right there. We got to put vocoder on that part right there. Oh, man, vocoder. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and 
Quincy used to use Michael Boddicker all the time. So Boddicker is the one that put that vocoder. He was like Mr. Synthesizer back in that day. He was doing all the dates. So Mike did that and took a lot, you know, like we say, it takes a lot of people to make a record, but those are all live recordings and we had fun. That was the first record done at the complex. The one that George Massenberg had just finished. Besides that, all those records were at Hollywood Sound over in Hollywood, right there around the corner from RCA. So Maurice came in and said, You got any tunes for the fire? I said, Yeah, Reese, I got some songs. So I gave him a cassette with four songs. We cut three. And I wished. I wish I knew what that fourth song was. I have no idea. I don't know. I would just want to hear whatever I'm doing because I found some old stuff from that era that we've done, and I had to transcribe my own stuff. I couldn't. I was saying, what kind of chord was it? It was just like we were talking about the chords earlier. I was playing some harmonics that I couldn't figure out now, and that must have been about, 28, 29 at the time. So, but I, I pulled one out. I found it on a scene. I just pulled. I'm, I'm going to relay it, and it's almost all the way there. So that was laughable. But the concept of the harmonics was so slick. So, and it's just about time to do that type of stuff now because each dispensation of music, like a less groove right now, wouldn't be a hit. Or it would be cool, but it wouldn't be like it, it is now. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because but, the styles of music has changed. But if memory serves me right, I think those other two songs that were on that tape are among my favorites on Raised 2. What were they? One was I Want to Be With You. That's another good one. And the other one was My Love with the Don Myrick solo. But... Uh, Want to Be With You, I thought was going to be the biggest song on there because that was, from my aspect, my standpoint, that was composition. I That was not a mistake song. I mean, I had written that, and I had written it a while back. I had written that song while I was in the Brothers Johnson, and I never laid it to tape. It was in my head the whole time, and we would play it at Soundcheck. I would play all the chord changes and all the things, and that first verse I had written probably in the 79, 80, somewhere in there, but it was an older song. Let's Groove was fresh. That was like, came up with that boom, boom, boom. That was like, okay. Let's Groove took 10 minutes. <laughs> Want to Be With You took a year. <laughs> you know, that's that's the way that works. Then uh, Maurice was like, um, I think we're going to put a bridge. I said, okay, I'll come back with a bridge. And I went back and put a bridge on, on Let's Groove. And the funniest thing, how old things make a new, I was listening to Ladies Night. It was just coming on the radio. And I heard the one part, and I said, oh, if I took and changed that around and modulated it, that could be a bridge. And that's what I did, right? So forward wine, like 25, 30 years later, and one of my bass player buddies, Dale Atkins, he came over to me. He said, Wayne, you know what? That bridge on Let's Groove sound like Ladies Night. <laughs> I said, well, I said, I was influenced on two chords by Ladies Night. Then I took the second two chords and modulated them and flipped it around. So I said, funny you should say that. I said, no one else heard that. That's a good ear. You. Yeah, that's a good ear. He had a good ear. But no, we... Well, now, you know, plagiarizing, you'd be inspired, but you never want to rip off nobody's stuff. But then how when the hip-hop started and then they started just 
taking whole songs and flipping them. And that was like, we were upset, you know. But then one of our songs that Will Smith and them did in Men in Black, and it was a song on an Earth, One & Fire record that I don't know which record it was, but it was called Something Special. And Will Smith and them flipped it and called it Big Willie Style. I never heard it. My my uh, boy Fitzgerald Harley gave me a tape of it. He said, oh, Will Smith just flipped your song. And I said, oh, really? I got the tape, brought it home, never listened to it. Now, I don't get me some time, but I am so like to the next thing. I don't even listen to my own stuff. So when people tell me that I listen to their stuff, I'm like, I don't listen to my stuff. I'm going to listen to your stuff. And finally one day I listened to it. Matter of fact, I listened to it after I got Alexa. And I asked Alexa to play it. And that was my first time hearing it. So I didn't hear that until the 21st century. <laughs> Maybe a year and a half ago, I listened to it. Wow. But it had been out on Men in Black soundtrack. That was the one that they did, Forget Me Nots. They took Patrice's song and flipped it mm. and did Forget Me Nots on there. And that same album, or whatever they call it, CD, they put Big Willie Style on there, which was something special on Earth, Wind, and Fire. So I'm saying, wow. I'm loving how these rappers go and flip songs. But, I mean, Les Groove has been flipped, like, a gazillion times. And I have to go and uh, deal with some slippage right now from some folks that have taken it and sort of took the baseline, which, you know, they don't realize that was copywritten. So. You know, I was looking at your, uh, your list of credits. Um, so many of them are related to that track, you know, over the last couple of decades. I mean, it's been picked up in so many compilations and man incredible it, it's incredible and i'm telling you i may know about three of them i don't even know i need to go back one of my buddies he made a discography on a cd of a bunch of stuff that i had done over the years and i hadn't even put a compilation of that and it's somewhere around here i listened one time to it and was like wow and I don't know what I did with it, but I need to find that. Let me ask you this, Wayne. So mm -hmm. you were with Wanda, and then, of course, Maurice has, you know, produced the emotions. And did did being with Wanda impact, you know, you getting tighter with Maurice in that camp? Or, you know, how was that dynamic? Well, I mean... We had met when we did the Greek theater. One, one, at the end of our tour with the emotions, and Earth, Wind came. And I kind of vaguely, cordially met like Larry and Freddie, maybe Maurice. I can't remember if I met him then. Maybe I did. But the, the first time I remember meeting Maurice was at Hollywood Sound at the studio. But somewhere around 78, 79, that's when I met Maurice. And I know by the time the Boogie Wonderland, because I was at the uh, the taping of that video. So I, I knew him then. But Reese and I developed our own friendship after we met with Wanda. Wanda was, it was just like, like Wanda met Janice Marie, you know, Johnson from Takes the Honey through me because she was one of the people, one of the musicians I'm talking about from L.A. And then they became buddies on their own right without me. You know what I mean? So Maurice and I became buddies on the other tip without Wanda. So, but um, we were all three. That was the writing team for us because Wanda would bring it back for me. You know, like when we first wrote the tune, the beginning of Side by Side, that was one of the, um, probably the only songs that started at Maurice's house on a Fender Rhodes and just he and I. 
no already pre-written, pre-laid. Mostly everything that we did, I already, already been writing on it. I bring it in and we finish it. This one day, Reese said, oh, man, let's have a writing session. Oh, okay, Reese. All right, man. And we go to the Fender Rose. We go upstairs at his crib. And we just sitting there tripping, you know. So who knows? I'm just doodling on the piano. And Reese is just messing around. So I vibe the uh, beginning of Side by Side, which is sort of like the... Uh, one year ago, da, da, da. and I started singing that melody. So as I'm singing the melody and go through the progression, then restarted singing the melody. And I take it and we keep going and we get all the way to the side by side. And we have something. Blah, blah, blah. And boy, so we like, whoa. So we're like, Reese is like, oh man, what are we going to put there? Like, so Reese are going, Ride, 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 magic carpet, ride, ride, and it's harder than a magic carpet and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hmm, okay, I like everything else, but hmm, magic carpet. Hmm, I don't know. Okay. Then I just said, okay, but when we're creating, and this is a rule I have, when you're creating, you never shoot nothing down. You make everything as big as you can, and then until you come up with something better, it stays until you go up with something better. And if you don't, then maybe it stays, or maybe you say, oh, okay, we're going to set this aside until we come up with what we need to come up with. Because you don't want to, you know, it's like that. Anyway, that night, Reese and I spent like four hours playing with this song, Magic Carpet. And I like it a lot. I mean, I thought it was like pretty cool. It was like bouncy, had a little vibe depending on how we would perform it in the studio. So, I went home and Wanda was just, you know, kicking it, dealing with the kids. And I said, honey, we got a tune. Only thing, we need a hook. I said, so listen, so I said, you go in there, just think about it. So I can go and do what I'm doing or whatever. And then Wanda comes back. Oh, I got one. Side by side. I said, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I like that. Okay, hold it. All right, let me get with Reese. So then I got with Reese. I said, Reese, Wanda put something on it. Check it out. And here's another thing, with the ear and no ego, don't care who come up with what, Reese went, oh, man, I like that better. He said, it's coming from a female perspective. <laughs> <laughs> and that was side by side. And what, how that what, came what year about. was that, Wayne? Ooh. About? I, I, I I don't know the chronology, but maybe, let me see, if side by side, so, you know, it was, see that tune, Thinking of You, I don't know if that was, I think that was, I think side by side was before Thinking of You, I think. I think Thinking of You was that record where it was on System of Survival. So, See, I was thinking, Whoa. I was thinking it was on System of Survival that song, but I'm not sure. I, I man, like I, you know, I just made a statement earlier. I forgot all of that. Stuff, I got the record man. in the other room. I'll have to go check, but I think. Okay, but you know what the funniest part though, my boys and, and some of my the, uh, discography cats, man, they tell me so much stuff that I've forgotten. It's like I'm like. How do you remember that? Yeah. Man, I mean, I, I know I could go find out, but my brain got so much more stuff in it now that I'm just in another place now. Just in another, you know, but... But, but I mean, you worked with, uh, in some capacity, with Maurice and Earth, Wind & Fire. I mean, pretty much the rest of, in the 80s, 90s, right? I yeah, the last thing we did was in 2005. That was 
when I was, Reese was just coming down with the Parkinson's and the whole thing. But um, we would we would have just so much fun doing stuff. That's the thing. It stayed fun with, with he and I. It, it never did get to the point of work. And we did a song. He the, the, the last record that I worked on, Earth Wind, was called The Promise. And we did a song called All in the Way. And, man, what I'm doing right now with, with, with our little hiatus of life, the energy that Maurice put in that song, that day, that time, it brought me back to when we first ever met and got together. He was like a kid. He had so much energy, and he went and started writing these lyrics, and we always would have our, our legal pads. I'm looking right now to wonder. I don't have one. Oh, well, no, but I still got the clipboards and the legal pads, right? And we would keep that at all times. Oh, here's one clipboard right here. But Reese went into his office with the clipboard and had his thing. I'm a little you. You shine every day. So I had another one. I had brought the track and did all of that. And they had been working on this record. They had been already working on it. And I, I wasn't even working on a record. I was working on something else. And I was doing this group from France called No Jazz on Warner Brothers. So I'm basically getting Maurice to work on some of that with me. And then he goes, once again, hey, man, you got anything? So one of my songs that I had done on myself on that Three Generations of Groove record called All About Love, which I didn't realize Earth, Wind, Fire had a song called All About Love. I didn't know that. So it's strictly coincidental. Definitely doesn't they you know, two different songs all the all the way. But Maurice wanted to record that. I said, You do? Okay. And then when I went to give him the track, I had laid and recorded the track on the twenty four track so long ago and the tape disintegrated. I had to go and re record all the parts of that song. So, um, and I had the emotions on there. I just, so I think on that one, I just used Wanda and Maurice in them because it was, oh my God, it was cool anyway. But, um, you know, Scott, I'll go off onto these things and think about Reese and thinking about those days. And it just, bring me to a smile on my face and just I'm glad I thought about that going through the promise and going through the passion of writing and creating and the energy that Reese put into that one song I have one like that right now and I played it for Verdine um the last song that I was given, Maurice, is called uh, It's Your Life. Mm -hmm. And I said, Reese, I have a song. And I played it to him over the piano. And the next sentence out of his mouth was, oh, man, I'd kill that. Because it was right up his alley. <laughs> and I haven't recorded because the only person that I can hear singing it is him. Mm -hmm. But it is, and you know, just so happens I liked Earth, Wind, and my sound was that in between the Herbie Hancock and the changes and the harmonics, and then liking that type of Charles Stepney, you know, I like production, I like it big. That tune I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go back and do something with. Maybe I'll change it around now, because like I say, everything is based on Keeping something fresh, a new a song never changes. I mean, it, it's the composition, but the way you produce it, 
you can do it Parliament funky right now, or is it uh, some hip hop group funky right now, or whatever way that it is, you just can fit it in. But one thing you can't do is just write a song out of nowhere. You got to start with the melody, and if you have that, if I had Mary had a little lamb, I could do it Schoenberg, Stravinsky, or Parliament or Bootsy, you know. But the melody is going to be the same. Yeah. So is you got to have the melody. Is that a message that you would pass on to you know young people coming up in music to get their composing down and make sure they retain rights to those compositions? I would suggest them definitely getting and learning something about composition, and then if not, just sample some more of my stuff. So then you know I can get half the copyright and make everybody happy. I mean, you know, the bottom line, you got one or two ways. I would tell my boys, hey, man, don't sample that stuff because, you know, you got to pay that stuff. And then there was a group called the Lynch Mob, and my young DJ, Chili Chill, had sampled every song that he thought to make the record, which he did a great job. But each one of those records... Oh boy! A call came in. Is it? Or oh, that's somebody's FaceTiming me from Chicago. What the heck? I'm gonna let that go, Scott, because if I hit this button, I think it's gonna disconnect us. So you, once it, you gotta get your yeah. We just gotta get your camera back. Yeah, yeah. The camera's gonna come back momentarily. Um, come on. Is we that, go. There we go. Is that the same lynch mob that used to uh, work with Ice Cube? And... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, my boy wrote the songs. The, the record went platinum or gold at least. And he called me. Hey, Wayne, we're not making any, we're not getting any royalties. I said, what? I said, get the royalty department on. They was with them all day. And I said, now, okay, Chili Chill is one of my boys, but I introduced myself. And the girl goes, well, Mr. Vaughn, they sampled so heavily that once we paid the samples, there was no more money left. Then I looked at them and go, see what I was talking about? Mm-hmm. But I have pre-foretold this to happen. And now this guy is writing his own stuff. Yeah, he think he learned a little keyboard. You know, he's become a musician almost. You know, anybody can learn how to play music, but it just takes time. And a lot of times you approach to music. I mean, I love what some of those guys are doing with the turntables because I was trying to figure out what they were doing because... It was some atonality jumping off. They would have one sample in B flat and another sample in F sharp and another sample in A, and they'd have all this stuff piled on each other, right? And I'm like, what key are they in? But since they were just talking over the top, it didn't make a difference what key they were in. So then that's how some of the R&B groups come up. So what did they do? That becomes a way you do music. So from a hip-hop producer, now he wants to flip his stuff. He's flipping it. So now you get a group that can sing like an in vogue playing over a James Brown big payback sample. Not even music. I mean, it's music, but I mean not even musicians. You just program some drums and you put that over it. And now you're singing and you make a whole new record over it, but James Brown's still getting paid. So for that part, I mean, James Brown said, I'm not mad at you for taking the sample and using it. And then also some of that hip-hop stuff, it actually made some of the older artists relevant again. So it it was, when we first got into it, it was like, what the heck? And then afterwards, when we got, we started understanding, and plus a lot of the hip-hop cats, 
didn't have no music in school in the third grade to be able to go play flute and be influenced and do that. But they still had the talent or the passion within them. So by any means necessary. So they started doing with the turntables and stuff. And then I go, hey, that's still funky. What are they doing? And you get the drum machine. They, they took the 808 drum machine and started using it like a synclavier or something. I mean, we threw that thing out the door. Then they take it and tune the bass drum down to where it goes, boom. Musicians were laughing at that. I can remember to, I remember each thing as it came up. And, but they wanted the bottom to rattle their speakers. Now, I don't want speakers rattling, and I would hear people in the trunk of their car, and I'm talking about the, the worst rattle you ever heard coming out of a car. But that's what the kids got into. Then they put the stuff, then here comes the outcast. Then here comes all these other groups. Not to mention like a public enemy who, that's how I got a little bit into rap. Then listening to some of the fat boy stuff and, you know, the beatbox with the mouth. I, I got know. into it. I got into it because that's sort of like where funk went, you know? Yeah, well, because they took the funk of James <clears throat> Brown. I thought when they sampled the the one Snoop Dogg and them did with the Parliament Funkadelic sample, Knee Deep sample, I said they sampled this 15 times. This cannot be another hit. It cannot be <laughs> another hit. I'm like, hey, but see, back in the day, Palestrina. First century, all of those songs that were hits in first century music were the same song. Commercial music is consistent from the beginning of Gregorian chant all the way to, hey, name them, everybody. So, we try to be relevant. We try to be popular. And I'm thinking right now, being unpopular is popular. So just do just do from your heart and try to have an outlet to put the music out there. You know, you can get the music to the people that like this. That's the whole thing, bridging the people that want to hear the music for you getting it to the people that want the music. Because if you get it to the wrong audience, it's like getting a pair of nines and everybody wear twelve. Hmm. You know, don't fit. So we just try to get in where we fit in, baby. That's about all we can do, Scott. But you know, while I was, yeah. while I was looking over uh, your impressive credits, Wayne, I know one other one I wanted to mention was you worked with Troop. Oh Lord, Troop, my young babies. Those were my babies. Very cool young guys, and um, you know, my managers, the, the, the my, my guy Cook. I want to say his name is David Cook, but the the boy, you know, um, they were like our Michael Jack Jackson Five. That would have been the Jackson the modern-day Jackson 5. But those guys could really sing. You know, and the stuff that uh, Chucky Booker did with them was the stuff, you know. Um, my friend Dennis Nelson and I did a song on them that I don't even know the title. I don't, I'm trying to think. I don't even know how it go, but we did that, and I know um, we had some stuff with the girl Sylvia Rohn over there, whatever label they were on, Electro, Warners, or somebody. I can't remember the record label or nothing on that. That was just a, a moment in time, but we had a lot of people hanging out with us, and when Troop would come over to my house, and one night they came over and Shawnee Wilson was over, because we've had Shawnee since she was a little girl. And boy, they went crazy 
over Shawnee's. Oh my God, Shawnee's! Oh, she's so fine! Oh my God! Oh my God! And I don't know if they ever did any work together or whatever, but uh, the troop was a very talented young band, and they could dance. <laughs> Those boys could dance. So I don't know. Well, I know that uh, um, one of the boys started producing, and I ran into him at some industry function, you know, something like an ASCAP, BMI, some kind of thing. But, yeah, I haven't seen him in a long time. And yeah, Troop was on Ad Atlantic at the time, yeah. Okay, Atlantic, yeah, Aweah, that's what it was, Electra, Wea, the uh, Warner Brothers, Electra, Atlantic, yeah. Bless their hearts, man. Yeah, that was, that was some fun times. We got with different people, and that was when, you know, I was just, which way we're going to go here? We had gotten with the boy Keith Washington. He was on all the soap operas. And before he got a record deal, we had a deal with 7-Up to do one of those national spots, for the cool me down thing. So I got the emotions on it. Keith was unknown. Got him on it. Some more cats. That was a, my first national commercial to when I learned about the 13-week check syndrome. And every 13 weeks, you get a pile of checks about like that. But, you know, we can do the work. It's just hard breaking into that business, you know. It's just like things about everything is about the opportunity to do it. And I've only done a few commercials. I've done Haagen-Dazs commercials like over in Japan and well, I hope you got some. I hope you got some of the product on that one. <laughs> Man, let me tell you. I wish we did, but see, that was a buyout. We did a buyout on that, but let me tell you, the girl that I was doing it for, we were going through a translator, the, the very first, I think that was like in 2004 or five as well. It was some, all this stuff was happening around the same time around then, and they were using a translating thing. But the guy from Japan, Hagen dazs he came in and he said, who composed this music? So the guy related it back to me. So then I couldn't understand it with the translator thing, the, the program. But then another person that knew English and Japanese, they came and explained to me that no one ever asked, since they had been doing these series of commercials for this, no one would ever ask about who composed the music. But... They wanted this track so bad. They loved it. And it was like some Perry Como type stuff. You know, totally a, not what I was doing at the time. But it was, you know, honey drippers type of stuff. You know, but it was it was what it was. But yeah, that shows your range, man. Well, the thing about it is, this is what we talked about earlier about the um, learn as much as you can about whatever you're doing because that pulled in some of my stuff that I learned just from music composition at, at large. If I can theorize something, I can do it. I have to theorize it first, though. But that could be anything. There, there would be nothing I couldn't do, especially today with computers and stuff. That, that would be, even if I couldn't play it physically, I could still program it. So that's, see, and that stuff back then was, impossible you had to play it <laughs> I, w I want to mention a few others wayne so that the viewers and listeners just get the full uh, breadth of of your work um you also worked with vesta williams tyler collins melissa morgan are those all right now what was the morgan one says um the lady in me capitol Ooh. records Lord have mercy. Well, see, I'm going to tell you, you can bring back stuff that I've forgotten. Tyler Perry, Tyler Collins, I mean Tyler Perry. <laughs> Tyler Collins was around the same time, the truth. That was a beautiful young baby. She was, she was very nice. That was a, you know, a young lady had a record deal, and we tried to input. That was the same production team with, with my boy Dennis. And what was the other one after that? Tyler and... Vesta Williams. Oh, yeah, Vesta. Yeah, Vesta. 
we did something with my boy Zane. It was one of her singles on A&M. I was just playing some keyboards with her, but Zane, I mean, uh, Zane had me to play on that, but vested with, we became tighter later on down in her life, you know, as just musicians and friends. But, uh, um, yeah, I played on her first record, but uh, um, I didn't do any writing or nothing on, on Vesta. And I don't think I wrote the song on Tyler either. We just produced that. That was a production gig. And, um, but you probably got more on that paper than I remember, Scott. I'm telling you, you're going into the, um, the quiet, the, the, the quiet thoughts. Well, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned the, um, three generations of groove. And I just wanted to touch on that too, because basically that's sort of your only solo record, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I did that record and I said, okay, I got that out of my system. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I went right back to, back to producing and hanging with the other folks because it's hard producing yourself. And now that the music has, sort of come back to me in a way that I can do what I want. I don't have to do hits. What I mean by hits, who knows a hit before it becomes a hit? You don't. You just do your best and it just the power that be goes out and you make the, the music and then people accept it or they don't. But in terms of what I want to do now that I was trying to do with the three generations is communicate to a broader audience that I deal with. And after my A&R guys and my marketing guys, they were more or less, oh man, that's too much, too many jobs, too many jobs or too many things. You know, you, you, you playing funk here, you playing jazz here, you doing this, you know, you know. And I say, well, that's, that's me, that's what I hear. So I don't listen to the people that want to put you in a box. But now what I've, what I am doing right now, I've been, one of my friends that's a quantum physicist, I want to do uh, healing tone music. And I started this 10 years ago maybe, or more, but 10 years ago at least. And it's not the easiest thing to do, but it's on the vibration of the universe, which the regular thing, what we tune our music to is A440, and this is A432. But there are some tones that heal the body, mind, spirit, and I'm on to that project, plus music that will make you want to move and dance and music that will be there for sort of like um, intellectually, almost like between not difficult music, but just something that you necessarily wouldn't expect to hear kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm not explaining that correctly. I'll just have to do it and then whatever, whatever comes about it, comes about it, you know, but definitely we try to do a dance record just for the, just for the fun of it, just to put out there and make people happy and just do that. And the other one, the Tones, the Tones record, that could be like a series of four, four atmospheres. This won't be popular by any means. But if it does what I think it's going to do, what my plan is, it's going to be a healing meditation type thing. And you know, when you go to Europe, you've ever been to an acupuncturist, what they used to call New Age mm. back in the day. It's not that. But that's the closest thing that I can describe the way it is. Mm. But it's, it won't be that, because that stuff, eh, I don't say it drove me crazy, but <laughs> I want to have something with it. But man, this guy, this quantum physicist, he's bad. And I took Maurice there before we before I lost him. I say, Reese, I got a spot, man. I don't know if it's gonna do whatever, but and this guy has platinum, silver, 
gold, all kind of um, crystal and stuff, and he makes these things and he plays them over the body, and you just laid out. And I I did it once, and it's deep, but it's tones that goes to your liver, goes to your spleen, goes to your heart. And he was with the grandson of somebody in Saudi Arabia. And they had all the machinery. He did this tone thing, quantum physics thing. I just know enough about it to get me in trouble. But I know the concept is real. So I just want to harness it. And he went and touched this guy's liver with these tones. And the machinery that was up showed that the liver was being stimulated by this tone simultaneously. These are the reported things. And when I've heard that, I've heard that about 10 years ago. And I wanted to do this ever since. So I wrote one track for it, but it was too tonal. It was, this is almost like atonality. It's not the diatonic scale like we know it. It could be more like, almost like a, a raga or something in a Hinduish, but quarter tones and so, but it's the key to tuning, A432. So, it could take me another who knows how long, but I will get this. I just, and this is, this is in my spare time, Scott. Just, <laughs> you got to keep thinking about stuff, man. But yeah, I'm looking that's... at music now, like, you know, it's like food now. It's, it's for your, it's more than just shaking a tail feather. It's actually to balance you. The, the music that is the next wave is the music to balance the mind-body-soul relationship and to make you have more energy to go do what you got to do and be more positive and to share your experiences and love to others. So if you got to get music to help you to do that, so be it, you know? Yeah, I don't know. that's deep. That's I'm, deep, deep, Wayne. Uh, well, you know, I'm not trying to be deep, but, you know. I'm, I'm, it, curious, goes, about, I'm curious about that, that, that science it's, it's there. It's, it's been there. But here's the thing. I just learned about how I many, just not too many years ago, 10, that's not 10 years, not that long ago, about the A432. And I was talking to my piano tuner one day, and he was talking about, hey, yeah, I mean, you know, well, but I have some classical players right now. And they want their home piano tuned at A432. Hmm. I, I know, and the thing about it, it's, it's just flat enough. If your ear is good, I mean, you're going to hear it. It's, the frequency is like taking bright red to a, a duller red, I guess. Or either that's the brighter, and A440 is duller. Who knows? It's like but, a, a shading of the tone. Yes, yeah, the shading of the tone. So, yeah. but it definitely is there to heal us and what we feel from the music. Because, like you're going to all those concerts, you got a lot about it. You got a lot in you for it. That's why you're doing what you're doing now. It <laughs> permeated, stayed with you. Oh, it didn't stop. Big time. Then you leave and go all the way to the Carolinas, but you're still doing it. It's it's that same principle is what we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, Wayne, as you look back, and I look forward to hearing what you come up with there, but as you look back on the whole deal, what is it that um, you're proudest, most proud about accomplishing in your musical life? <laughs> most proud. That's kind of deep because I'm so much on to the next thing that I really don't take too much time to reflect on the moment that I'm the proudest of. And that's a trip. 
I mean, and I know it sounds crazy, but literally, if I had to think about it, the giving back of whatever pipe channeled through me, because it's not me, I'm just, I'm just a channel. I write what I hear in my head. That's why I don't need to listen to music in the car. I don't have to listen to music when I work out because things keep coming to me. So the uh, the proudest would have to be of being able to be that conduit to from a spiritual level. God is one that's putting this music through me, and then I'm just the jukebox to play it out. And then if I had to get a prouder moment would be the fact that I was able to have children that has now reached out and became, now as opposed to me, it's five of me running around putting out the same music, musical experiences, touching people, not only musically, but intellectually, spiritually, culturally, and bringing people together in a positive way, healing in terms of nutritional and health-wise, till that's all a part of the experience of what I lived as well. So to get the music flowing through me and then to be able to share those compositions with others, I think that in a capsule would have to be the greatest reflection because I really don't look at one thing to say like, oh, well, it has to be less groove or it has to be this. It, it, it would be learning how to play grooving on a Sunday afternoon when I was 14 or something like that. You know, the fact that the music some kind of way comes to me to share with others would have to be the accomplishment. And no one thing is the totality of everything. So if I had to be proud, I'll have to take it. I have to take it all, Scotty. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, Wayne for sharing all of those great musical stories, and memories, and for all of the music that you've given to us as well. Thank you so much, Scott. You're welcome, and I'm glad you pulled some. You know you. You pulled some stuff out of me, and when you went troop and all that stuff, I was like, wow, what label would I remember that? It was, like, harder to remember. But all the times, I must say, I've had some great times in this music world that I've been living in all my life, just about. Hey, back at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. Thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube. Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also, goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free. If you love jazz, funk, R&B, soul, you can't miss it. Pass it along. Tell a friend. Tell family. This audience is growing, and it is a beautiful thing, all coming together for the love of this great music. Also, if you can throw us a buck or two, we could use the support financially, keeping the lights on, keeping the servers going, all these expenses. If you can help support the program, whatever you can give, much appreciated. Go to the FunkinStuff.net website. And on the right-hand side of every page, you just click and you can donate through PayPal, credit card, whatever. Very easy to do and so much appreciated. And if you do a sizable donation, I will mention you on the program. Also, drop me a line. Email me at scottg at FunkinStuff.net. Let me know who else you'd like to see on the show, what you enjoy about the music. Let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff, you know, talk music. You'll find that I respond very quickly, and I much enjoy the uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. 
always remember this is your show the true music lover so for now that's all the time we have for this one it's a wrap as always scott dr gx goldfine saying keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one <laughs>